G'day and welcome to the What's Next podcast with Pete and Dave. I'm Dave. I'm Pete. Welcome. Today we're talking to Nick Petrie, Vertical Development and Leadership Coach. He's a New Zealander. Uh, He talks to us from his home in New Zealand where he's recently made the move from the United States during lockdown and... uh, He's got a master's degree from Harvard uh, looking at uh, and, and used to work, sorry, for the Center for Creative Leadership. And now he runs his own practice in vertical development and leadership development. We talked to him about vertical development itself and what actually makes up vertical development, what to, what to find inside of it when you look at it. And also how you might apply vertical development to some of your leadership approaches and how it might enhance the future of work going forward. Enjoy the episode. First things first, Nick. Hello. Hello. How are you? (laughs) Yeah, good. Where where do you join us from? So from Nelson, New Zealand. I was in the US for the last 12 years and we came back when everything went virtual and everyone was just doing it at home. We wondered, do we really need to be in the US or could we be doing this from New Zealand where I'm from? So we came back and my wife, who's from Melbourne and uh, four young boys. Yeah, and uh, so now we're in Nelson, New Zealand, top of the South Island. Awesome, unreal, cool, excellent. And your your um, pending a house move, pending lockdown, pending <laughs> government decisions, and all that's the rest. Right, that's right. Oh, that's the way of the world, isn't it? It sort of gets out of your own hands, and you've just got to decide how you want to deal with all of that I uncertainty. So, I feel um, you because I'm would, I'm pending a house sale, pending government decisions, uh, yeah. pending the oh, end yeah, of lockdown. Yeah. So yes, that's. Yeah. It's rough. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of dominoes and we're all dependent on each other mm, these days. Yeah. Mm, that's right. It's like the whole world's pending really yeah, at oh, the moment. Seriously, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so before we kick off, we might just do a quick check-in, although yep. we've already had a bit of a chat. And I thought one of the something that would be interesting to talk about was what's the weirdest thing you've seen in the last two weeks? Kick us off, mate, because I'm still thinking. Yeah, okay. So the weirdest thing I've seen was it was yesterday or the day before I was walking out of a workshop because in still here in Adelaide we are not pending anything. We can actually go out and about, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and I was dragging my case full of all my bits and pieces back to the car and there was this big picture of Patrick Bateman from American Psycho that someone had wallpapered up on the wall and it said something about they take your money while they kill you, spray painted over the top of it. And it was just so odd that I stopped and I looked at it for a while and I was like, God, that's really weird. There's something really obscure about that. And then I kind of paused and looked at it for a while and then I was like, right, okay, back to reality and off to the car I went. So I think that was probably the weirdest thing I've seen this week. I actually took a photo of it on my phone, so I might put it in the show notes. Just That's hilarious. It was pretty funny. My goodness. Um. I'm, I'm reminded probably the weirdest thing, it was almost just one of the, the most awkward things I've seen is in Adelaide they've got those scooters. I know they do them around in different cities where you can rent the scooter um, off the side of the road and just drive it around around city blocks. They've got them in Brisbane and, and in Perth and here in in, uh, in Adelaide as well. And I'm, I'm in my car sitting at a set of lights and this lady's pulled up, little tiny petite girl has pulled up in her scooter to the, um, to the lights to press the button and she's she's stopped too early and realized that she can't quite reach <laughs> the button to cross the road and I've sat there and watched this lady drag the scooter with all her might cuz it's quite heavy drag the scooter with all her might towards this um this press just to press the button and then in in order to drag it she's now like jackknifed the thing and, and kind of dragged it the wrong way so now she's waiting for the lights only to realize when they went green that she's pointed the wrong direction and she's got to kind of drag it around and like, oh my gosh it was so awkward to watch it was hilarious anyway that's the weirdest thing i've seen <laughs> How about yourself, Nick? What have you seen that's weird in the last oh, couple of weeks? Geez. In lockdown, mate, I'm um, sure you've seen heaps. Yeah, we've just started lockdown. We're not really used oh, to it. So okay. I feel like we've got the four young boys in the lounge um, trying to entertain themselves. So I feel like every time I go out to the lounge, there is something very weird happening <laughs> um, as they try and entertain themselves. And I often just I walk back in here and begin work again without trying to understand what was going on. So I, I'm sort of surrounded by it. I don't need to leave the house. At the moment. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Well, thanks for checking in. I think um, it's an important part of, I guess, what we're trying to build together with the podcast as well is just to 
connect and check in when we're remote as well so that it's not just all business, but there's a bit of fun. Um, Are you finding, how are you finding connecting with others online now that you have made the decision to move away from the States and be in North, Northern parts of the South Island and kind of out of the way? Um, How are you staying connected from a business point of view and keeping it some business, but I guess also just relationships afloat and things like that as well? Um. Well, honestly, I've found it great um, <laughs> doing fantastic. everything virtually. And I, I felt like a bit of an outlier because I was you know, dealing in workplaces with lots of people who were struggling with it. I was finding life much easier. Right. Um, you know, in the US, there's a lot of flying. Every time you need to go do something, it's never in your city. You know, there's 50 different states and 150 different cities. So you are just constantly on a plane and it's quite a grind. Um, it's fun, but it's a grind after a while. And when I went virtual, I, I found it far easier to do the work and I could just focus on the work. Um, and for whatever reason, I was doing the sort of work where it was it worked to do it virtually. You didn't need five days or three days or something like that. So it was sort of fortunate. Um, and then yeah, socially, I don't know, I get, I get a lot out of my um, relationships with clients. I, I find that is quite enjoyable. I am probably in this period of my life, you know, with kids growing up, I've probably been not that social. In the US, we were just like pushing hard to get through it all. So I'm feeling now I'm needing to invest more time Mm. back into social aspects now that we've got home, which feels healthier. It's awesome. Out of balance before. Yeah, great. Mm. Excellent. So let's talk about work. What is it that you were traveling around and doing and what are you doing remotely now? Yeah, so... um, in the US, I worked at Center of Creative Leadership, mm-hmm. which is a big leadership development organization over there. Um, so I was doing leadership development, started, I mean, it was mainly individual leadership development, um, but I started to see the more I was doing it, we were sort of developing these leaders doing really you know, great stuff. They were growing, but they were going back to these organizations, which essentially hadn't changed and were holding them back. And so I started to see, wow, if you're just going to do individuals without doing the culture, um, it's pretty hard on everyone. It doesn't actually serve these individuals that well often. Mm. So started doing more around how do you help organizations evolve their cultures to fit the context they're in? Mm -hmm. Um, And they all needed that, but they weren't really, they knew they needed it. They weren't really aware how to do it. So what I do is a combination of individual and collective development for organizations. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And just to zoom in on the the culture piece for a little bit, what have you found giving you traction in those conversations at the moment? Is it is it the collective piece? Is it the combination of the individual and the collective? Is there something organizational happening at the same time? Like where's where does traction live in organizations that need that cultural shift? Um, I think the senior leaders have worked out that things, you know, people have been talking about VUCA for a long time, right? You know, you guys Mm -hmm. all know that. Um, But what I'm hearing from them now is like, we are deeply experiencing it. You know, Mm. we talked about it as a concept, but it wasn't in our bones, but now we are suffering from it. Mm -hmm. And, and they can see that their organizations really need to evolve. A lot of them are just realizing what made us really successful doesn't doesn't work mm. now. Mm. Stuff's changing. We need to change. But at the same time, we're so busy. We've got to keep delivering on everything we've already got. And we need to transform at the same time. <laughs> That's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, we want to do it, but it's so hard. We don't have yeah. time to do it. Yeah. Uh, but do it, but don't do, do it. it. And mm. so they're all, you know, they're all really grappling with this challenge of delivering and needing to change and transform. Mm. It's something I've run into uh, talking with some clients and organizations as well is that it's almost attractive to try and be half pregnant. It's like you get, mm. you get mm. this, mm. oh, we've got to change. We've got to be innovative. We've got to do something. Let's build a program. Let's run a project. Let's do something. Yeah. And the rubber hits the road and they're like, oh, this means yeah. we've actually got to do things like real different or we've got to reorg or we've got to change. It's like, oh, yeah. no, nah, we'll stick with the project. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is a huge opportunity to be part of what's coming, part of what's next, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a big change. It's got long, I mean, one of the 
challenges, I think, is just it's a longer-term payoff, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. whereas the short-term demands on them are sort of very obvious. Mm. Yep. Um, and it's easier to focus on those. It's harder to focus on the, you know, the longer-term culture stuff. It, they recognize it's important, but yeah, it's, it's hard. Mm. It's hard. It's a grind to do both at once. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was one of the things that, you know, the, the, the approach that we've been experimenting with over the couple of the last sort of 12 to 18 months in some organizations is how do you turn that development into something that's not extra work? Because, you know, a lot of people will agree to that first workshop and then after they get back into their real job, um, that yeah. whole focus on development disappears. And yeah. how do you transform that development and build it into the work so that it's just little micro pieces of extra work, not seen as this big piece of extra work, which then they obviously don't want to participate in because of the the bandwidth that it takes up and and that can be quite yes. stressing. That's dead right. And one of you know <laughs> such a tricky one. It's almost like the holy grail, um, I think at the moment, is can you get development into the flow of work? And so a few a few concepts like I've found quite resonating with um, Clayton Christensen who did the work around the innovators dilemma at Harvard mm-hmm. and disruptive innovation and all that stuff. After that, he went on and did work around jobs to be done, which is thinking about your end users' jobs to be done. What is it that they have to get done and fusing your solution with that? Mm. And I think that's a big thing for leadership development, organizational development. Focus less on the programs and, and all of that. Focus what are the jobs to be done for the leaders and can you make the development still important but sort of incidental or stealth mm. in the process of them getting their jobs to be done? Hide it like, in the process. I mean, who yeah. wouldn't agree with that? But mm. um, yeah. hard, still hard to do. Mm. But I reckon that's the direction mm. we're all trying to head. Mm. And I think that's what we've found is by naturally adopting parts of the agile process, which yep. that work methodology uh, lends itself towards stealth you can yeah, yeah you can right. hide some things in and the processes like retrospectives which are that natural scheduled reflection time which people don't get enough time to do because they're so busy is actually built into part of their work so they don't feel guilty they're looking about it. for hooks right so if you're planning a retrospective everyone's like well what are we going to reflect on this week it's like well actually here's a framework let's bring that in and talk about ah. it for a bit yeah, so. how, how hard is it to get them to actually, you know, schedule and do those things? You've got to commit, you've got to get the, the, the project or the team to commit to running an agile process. That doesn't necessarily yeah. need to be fully agile because that can scare some yeah. teams, but you need to, yeah. to commit to at least the ceremonies and a bit of a cadence to it. Once you've got the cadence locked in and you can start to, to run or, or at least get permission from the team to run, call it half a dozen of these, all of a sudden they're going to look back on, you know, six, 12 weeks before and go, oh, wow, we really have covered a lot of ground in the last two, three months. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Cadence. Cadence. Cadence and buoyance. Mm. Okay, yep. that's mm. good. Yeah. And because, because the retrospective is part of the actual Agile methodology, they actually are going to do – they're going to reflect on something. So how would you just select – what part of, you know, that VUCA capacity that they need to build? And do you, in that cadence, do you select a skill to work on or a skill to build for that two to three weeks and then come back and reflect on it because that reflection period has been built into the work process? So they're going to do it anyway. So you're just giving them something to target on. Hmm. That's good. That's good. I like that. Definitely. Let's let's jump in for a second to your how. So your your we've talked a little bit about VUCA and about leadership development. How is it that you're working walking people through leadership development? And I guess specifically looking at your material and vertical development. Give us a beginner's guide to it. What is it, and mm. and what do you take people through? Mm. Well, I mean, I was doing leadership development for twelve or so years, and I was thinking. You know, I, I felt like I learned the best stuff was doing it, and it was wasn't really leaders liked it, but it didn't seem to be shifting things, and they were still stuck with the same problems as before. So I sort of stopped, took a sabbatical, went into a master's, looked around for what's the what might the future of leadership development be, and started to learn more and more around adult development, vertical development, these ideas, and this was. Uh, 
for me it was a bit of a revelation because I started to see, ah, oh, this is a missing piece. You know, it's fine to focus on the competencies and the skills and the behaviors and what do they need to know. But this, the idea around vertical development was that people evolve over time. It doesn't necessarily feel like it to you. We feel like sort of, well, I'm, I'm me. I'm who I'm always been. Mm. But researchers who are following people over a long period of time notice that they, they evolve and they evolve in predictable ways through mm. these different stages or mindsets of development. And so th this idea had been around for a while. And so I started to play around with it. I was like, this is good. And the challenge was describing it to leaders in a way they could understand and find useful. And so um, what we started to do, like leaders loved assessments as long as they're practical, useful assessments. Mm -hmm. And so we, we um, started to use artificial intelligence to help people work out from what stages of development they tended to operate from. And when we started doing this in organizations and doing it in quite a practical, applied way, leaders really enjoyed it. And okay. they're like, wow, some of, some of their ahas was, I sort of thought, you know, I am who I am. Now I can see the journey I've been on up to this stage in my career. And I can see that I'm not done. I sort of thought achieving lots of things and focusing on goals and juggling things, that was the ultimate. They sort of see I'm not cooked yet. I'm sort of halfway along this map, which you're showing me. There's more evolution to go. A great it's thing like, to show I'm, an achiever, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. How do I get? How do I get to the top of these? This map. Yeah. You're um, only halfway. By next yeah. week. Yeah. 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 Um, so it starts there by giving them awareness of that. Other things we've sort of done though is shown them that their organisation has a centre of gravity as well, and they found that very useful because mm -hmm. um, many of the leaders who you know end up coming to experiences or programs I'm part of or you're pro part of are often sort of quite late stage in some of these stages and they're well ahead of their organizational cultures mm -hmm. and they feel frustrated often. They feel a bit lost. They feel lonely. Mm -hmm. And when they discover this, they sort of realize I'm not crazy. I'm just a little more evolved in this, in this map um, than perhaps I used to be or our culture is. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's sort of the starting point. And then basically leaders want to know, okay, what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. all right. how, how do I grow? What do I do with my team? Um, all, all the different practical applied questions and we can go from there. But once you've got the excitement, um, that's the starting point. So let's zoom into that for a second because I feel like anyone listening to this who is feeling lonely and is feeling like they may be a little bit either out of the click or potentially a little bit more evolved um, is probably starting uh, to get an accelerated heart rate and thinking, oh my gosh, are they onto something here? What, what are those stages? Like run them through beginner's guide. Like what are the stages we're talking about here? Yeah. So a few different maps, but they're all looking at the same thing. Um, the one I find most helpful and the one we use seven main stages, which you see adults go through. Mm -hmm. um, the earliest stage is opportunist. Mm -hmm. And so at opportunist, people have got pretty short-term perspective. It's sort of might makes right. Mm -hmm. It's about me. Um, we might experience this quite early in our life. Um, I can remember it with my siblings. It was all about who could win, who could get their own way. Uh, would often be a little bit manipulative about things. You see these people less in, or, in lead, leadership roles, but you see them sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in the US, actually, uh, I was working with people from government. They said that that stage is rife in government, which was right, sort of right. interesting. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and But people often evolve out of there, reasonably early. Next stage is diplomat, mm -hmm. which is sort of around conforming, fitting in, wanting to be part of, how do I belong, how do I join? The big fear is being excluded. And people are often like this um, – you know, it could be at university, college, can be early in organizations where it's all about trying to fit in, be part of, how do things work around here? Mm -hmm. um, eventually, people realize that's quite, that's not enough, really. I need to have some sort of craft, some sort of skill set, some sort of knowledge. 
And this is when people can start to move into this expert mindset. And this is about knowing your stuff, having the answers, being the expert, um, mastering your craft. And it's a, you know, it's a really important stage to be in mm. and go through. Mm. And often people will go, that's all you need. Yep. I'm done. I'm done. You know, I'm, uh, I've got, got what I need and I'm the expert. So you, um, you would find that there are leaders now who have parked their bus at that stage and feel like they can just ride out their career at that stage? Less and less and sort of industry by industry. Mm-hmm. Some organizations, the leaders are like this and mm-hmm. it can sort of work. I mean, particularly if you're sort of engineering, law, medical. Yep. yep. If you're in the, the sort of expert role, it can work really well, but it gets tricky when... All the industry told, school okay. prepares you for, right? Right, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Yep. It, it gets tricky when you then start managing people and mm. you want to be the expert who knows it all, but now you've actually got to lead. And often people get compelled once they get into these roles or just before to move into the next stage, which is around achiever. And now it's less about inputs and knowledge. It's more about outcomes, results, um, juggling lots of duties. You start to be able to take more perspectives. And in organizations, this is very common stage that we see. It's, people sort of think it's the last one, really, mm. of being a leader. Um, but it's not. Uh, so the next one after that, people sort of transition out of there when they start to get the sense, you know, is this all there is? Mm already achieved a lot. Uh, is this what I do for the next 40 years of my life? Um, and they start to sort of question it. And so the next one is redefining where you sort of might, you ask a lot more questions. Sometimes it's called self-questioning, question the organization, you might question society, question yourself, your values, your purpose. It can be quite a, a shaky stage. It's a scaffolding of achiever sort of starts to drop away. Um, but it's an important, a lot of what organizations are saying that they need is more of that. Mm. That's when you get more innovative, more challenged status quo. Next one's transforming. Um, and this is when people start to almost have more perspective. Uh, it's almost like from a higher level, they can see the organization, they can see the systems, they can see the interactions, see the moving parts. They can still achieve, but they're doing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And the final one, so there's fewer p- fewer people in there. The final one is alchemical. Um, and alchemical, people start to see through the facade of a, a lot of things. Um, they're able to sort of change the meaning in their mind much faster. Things become quite fluid. Um, and often, they see less purpose of being an organization. So we do see some of those people in organizations, but far fewer. Oh, and, and what's the... This might be a weird question, but what... I can't find another way to to frame it. What's the temperature of a person who is at that alchemical stage when you find them in an organization? Like, where are they? Are they frustrated and stifled? Are they leading change and making waves? Where where do you find them? They're um they're hard to categorize. Whereas it's it's easier to categorize some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. The alchemical people can be quite different. They can show up in different ways. Often it's not obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be sort of surprising when you realize, ah, um, the ones that I meet, they're quite relaxed, actually. Um, they, <laughs> they find it a little, um, they definitely f- notice that they are different. Yeah. Mm. Um, but they don't know why. Yeah. And so when they see this, they're like, ah, oh, okay, this is helpful. Do you, th- mm. do, you think, um, do you think that the system also helps notify them that they're different? Oh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> No doubt. I mean, you should be acting like an achiever um, yeah. acts, yeah. but you're not. Mm-hmm. There's some, um, but there are the one, I mean, the ones we're seeing, they're often, they're not like the CEO. Mm. We're not seeing it as the CEO or it's, they're often sort of slightly in the background doing interesting, quirky things. Mm. Um, but very often, to be honest, people at those later stages, they often leave. Um, so there's a few. Um, what, what we're seeing more and more is organizations say we need these leaders at later stages, but this group we're going to give you, they're all, you know, ex, they're all achievers or something like that. And when we do the assessments, it turns out there's quite a lot of later stage people in there, but they're hiding in the mm. organization. 
So there's a lot of people just hiding in the organization. They're the leaders who everyone's saying we need, but they're mm. not acting like that because mm. it's not safe to. Yeah, so then it comes back to organizational permission or at least the systems yeah. that, that allow people to express that side of themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested in your commentary around I've, I've found working with this model for quite some time, as you would, that mm. once there's a difference of two stages between where the organization is and where the individual is, that's when you get into trouble because the dynamic tension between the way you want the world to be and the way the organization is gets problematic and trying to maintain or negotiate that tension all the time can sometimes for some people be exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's what we see. Mm. And so you sort of, you know, you've just got to like, how are you going to deal with that? I Mm. think having, an assessment and a map is helpful because it just helps people go, okay, um, there's nothing wrong with me. There are some good, you know, there's some really good aspects here that I'm discovering. It's part, it's at least partly the organization. And, and then how do I want to navigate that? Mm. Do I just relax um, and say, that's the way it is. Many people leave. I mean, the metaphor I have had in my mind is it's sort of like a bungee cord Mm. um, that these Leaders, they're sort of pulling further and further out, but the organization bungee just keeps pulling them back. And so it takes a lot of energy, like you're saying, mm. Pete. You either just pull back closer to where the organization is, mm. or you try and stretch it and drag the organization forward, which is what the organization says it wants. Exactly. Um, <laughs> or people leave. Yeah. Yeah. Or they hang so around and become it. miserable. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. At least now they know why, though. Yeah. How do you, <laughs> a good question for you would be, how do you find the reaction for people that take their assessment, um, that are, you know, achiever, and I think they're at the end of the path and all of a sudden get a reality shock that they're only midway along the line and that there's these other stages to go for? Do you find that, you know, I would imagine there's either there's two paths that could be gone on and it's either the, the path to goodness and growth or there's the Darth Vader yeah. move where people kind of feel a little bit put out of place that they've been doing all these things all their life in order to achieve and then they've found out that they're only, even though they probably think they're at the end, that they found out they're only halfway. Yeah, I think they seem to find it intriguing. Like we ask them after they take it. So the way we, we are trying to digitize and scale it all. Um, so we see all of their answers. What we did is we took, we interviewed like um, different coaches and asked, how do you debrief this and put some of the questions into a digital debrief? First question we ask is, what was your experience of taking the assessment um, and reading your results? And the most common things we hear here, are it was thought provoking um, and they enjoyed the openness of it being able to explore and they seem to enjoy it below achiever. They seem to be confused yep. by the process and right. everything mm. um, at achiever. They're like, okay, all right. No, they, they like it. They want to know what to do. Uh, we haven't noticed them being too upset about it at redefining. We find that's when they start to get really intrigued And it's answering some big questions for them and they want, they're really keen to explore. It's not just about uh, how do I apply this tomorrow and, Mm. you know, my job. Whereas I imagine those who are at that expert stage are probably thinking, oh, this is opening a can of worms. I'm not sure I want to open because I'm happy exactly where I am. Thank you very much. Seems to be. And, you know, they'll question the validity, they'll mm, question yeah, the, the science you know, all or whatever. That. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's all right. I mean, we're seeing probably the type of people who are doing this are usually, well, they're often high potentials already. So we yep. probably tend to get, you know, yep. the latter stage, mid to latter stages. But we're interested in really scaling it. So some of the organizations are saying, could we do this for 80,000 people? Wow. Like, wouldn't that be interesting mm-hmm. to see the whole spectrum of things so yeah, an amazing data set to get as well it'd be incredible the, yeah that'd be incredible yeah it's, yeah it's just that awesome. yeah and is, is that something that's underway for you at the moment something yeah, well, I mean, similar we're getting scale? bigger and bigger groups it just keeps growing um 
So, uh, yeah, there's one which is 20,000. They've opened up to 20,000 people to do stuff on the platform. Uh, And that's one of the things they could do is the vertical mindset indicator. Um, So the group's getting bigger and bigger. So, um, I mean, we'll just learn more and more. It'd be really good. It's unreal. That's fantastic. Mm. So anyone yeah. wanting to learn more about what you've just described and and um, and those vertical development stages, I, I, you've got your white papers on your website. They can go there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. nicholaspetrie.com. Cool. Awesome. So I think that would be worth um, anyone who's interested in that space actually just exploring it a little bit further because it can be quite an unlock for people, like you said, especially those who are in that self-questioning stage going, oh, my gosh, yeah. is there any more to this? It's like, yeah, there is. It's, there's two extra stages beyond this. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> I think what would be really yeah. interesting too, Nick, would be to get your impression of because a lot of people out there are going to go, oh, you know what, I've taken leadership assessments before and, you, mm. and things like 360s and, you know, personality profiles and how is this different to those? Because a lot of I know a lot of people that I talk to. Like a they, strength assessment or something strength like that. Assessment, yep. they talk, I've done one of those and I say, well, this is really quite different. And they go, well, how is mm. it different? So, Yeah, um, it really is different. You know, like um, people – because most leaders, they've done so many assessments and they've, they've sort of seen it all, they feel like. Okay, 360s. Mm. They're not even really nervous by 360s anymore. They've done multiple 360s. No one we've met has done one like this. The leaders, like maybe some HR professionals have L&D people, but um, the leaders, it's brand new for. So um, one of the sponsors in the organization we work with, when we did the debrief, he said it was like it punched them in the ego. <laughs> he did it. It was the first session of the first day of their program. It was like a punch in the ego. He said it was great. You know, it really woke them up. Um, so how's it different? Um, it's not personality and it's not behavior. It's not 360s measuring your behaviors. It's not strengths mm. um, or MBTI measuring your personality. Um, what's different about it is it – it evolved, like you evolve. Um, we think of ourselves as a static me, but that me we have is an evolving self. Mm. And so as you take it over time, you can get very different results because you are evolving. It's measuring your sense-making, how you're pros- taking stuff in, how you're processing it. Um, and it's really, it's much deeper. People can tell it's much deeper, that it's getting at something uh, like, I know, I won't say the first question. It might bias it, but uh, it's um, it, it's a lot deeper. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Unreal. So what? So how do you think that this, uh, this thing, vertical development, how do you think it, why do you think it's important for the future of work and leadership for that matter? Because I know, you know, when I first ran into your work, now correct me if I'm wrong here because I'm digging back into the memory and I'm getting old. So mm. 2007, mm. 2008, it was future trends in leadership development. So I think around about then was the first time I actually ran into your work and that might have been your first paper even possibly. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yep, yep, that's right. Um, so how is it going to be important for people? Um it's going to be a pretty crazy workplace coming up. Like it really is. I'm clients I'm speaking to. Um, I guess it's different places. The North American ones, they're just like it's never going back to face to face. Never. Uh, there might there'll be some, but it'll be hybrid forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what they're saying. Like wow, that, that's that's big. Mm. Um, so, and that has enormous implications, which we haven't really thought through no. and no one really knows what it's going to be like and what are, what are all the implications of that. Um, other factors are going to be, it is going to be hyper-connected. Like people are going to be connected in all sorts of ways all the time. Mm. Um, work is going to be endlessly available and endless. Um, someone, a uh, company I was speaking to on the West Coast recently, uh, the phrase they used is um, the work is endless, but you or your energy is finite. Because mm. they're just like people just 
it cannot switch off at the moment. Mm. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. They keep doing more and more, and there's no getting to the bottom of it. Yeah. So the leaders are going to be dealing with a world which is radically different from have, what they've led through. Have you seen any yeah. evidence in the States of the right to switch off coming through? That's a big one that's come in with, um, I think the, it was Victoria Police um, announced a, uh-huh. a company policy for the right to switch off. Is that right? Mm. No, no, I have not heard that. So I, I really think that sort of thing is coming because at the moment, like wellness is a, a big mm, idea. But essentially, it's individual wellness. Mm. Like, here's some stuff each of you could do. Please do it. Um, <laughs> but the company itself is not necessarily. But get it to me changing. by Monday as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like we. I think it's, it was a good start. I think giving people wellness stuff, but it's got to go beyond that into the system, into mm. the culture. Mm. Um, Otherwise, that's an interesting one, the right to switch off. Mm. I I reckon society, I suspect society is going to demand it. Um, Mm. Something's changing. Look at the athletes, you know, very different. uh, Naomi uh, Osaka Mm. and then Simone Biles was Mm. a big one in the US, Mm. uh, the gymnast. And it's just like, ooh, things are changing. I mean, they both walked out of... It, it wasn't like I'm thinking about this from a commercial point of view for a second. Yeah. They weren't just stepping away from their their craft. They were stepping away from yeah. their obligations. They had commercial obligations to front up to media, yeah. to be at a meet, at a press yeah. conference. And in particular, yeah. I think I think it was Osaka got yeah. got quite a lot of attention because she just said, I'm not going to that press conference yeah. because I just yeah. can't. And you just go, There's you have an obligation and you're not you're choosing not to, and that's okay. Yeah. Like that's a big yeah. shift in the yeah. public mindset and the zeitgeist, right? That's a big shift. Yeah. And the complexity and the ambiguity that comes with now endorsements or dealing with professional athletes and 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 the standard that sets across an across organisations is pretty big. Yeah, and who's who's in charge? Yeah, um, is is mm. the WTA in charge? Is the athlete in charge? Mm. Um, you see, like. I think in some of the institutions, the rules are being changed around mm. who's got the power, you know, because she's like, she apparently made a lot more money by doing that than if she had of, you know, just oh, stayed wow. inside. She got more and more endorsements, even um, in the world of media, mm. uh, getting into your field, yourselves and Joe Rogan mm. are breaking the model mm. of, you know, you don't have to be on the radio. Uh, like in the US it would be Howard Stern would be the old model mm. or Larry King. Mm. I mean, Joe Rogan can say and do whatever he wants because, mm. well, before he got a hundred million, I was going to say, Spotify deal. <laughs> right around the corner for you boys, yeah. I'm sure. sure. And you're right on yes, Australia, right. exactly. Um, you know, he, he's got a lot of freedom. Um, so it was a little bit different from vertical development, but things are. Um, there is going to. I, I just think there there will be constant uncertainty coming mm. up, yep. and leaders. And staff need to know, they're waiting for things to become more certain. I don't think they will become more certain. They're going to need to be much more capable of navigating constantly, constant uncertainty um, and complexity. And ver- that's what vertical development can help. I was going to say that that strikes me as that. being quite typical of those later stages is as you exit expert and move into those mm. achiever and self-questioning type stages, you're entering into less and less certainty and more and more other people's perspectives and trying to bring less certain, more ambiguous versions of the truth and sit them all in front of you and say, right, what are we going to do about yeah. all of these rather than just this one? Would that be a yes. fair characterization? Yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we asked leaders actually, as part of the the digital debrief, we asked them what's the cha- leadership challenge you're facing at the other, and they wrote down various challenges. We looked at all the data. The most common one leaders picked were ones around leading a change. Mm-hmm. Uh, second most was trying to align stakeholders um, around. Uh, around projects, around um, decisions. Mm-hmm. The third one was trying to make, trying to make decisions and and massive complexity was the third most common challenge they chose. And then, but what we asked them was, how are you approaching it now? They put in an answer. Okay, we said, how would you approach that challenge 
from one stage earlier. How would you approach the challenge from one stage later? And they wrote in answers. And we looked at the patterns. And it was, it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, from one stage earlier, they said, I just put my head down, get the work done. I wouldn't question the approach. I wouldn't ask why we're doing it. I would basically just be completely task-focused, forget about people. Mm. Uh, and that was their response. One stage later, what they said was they would pull up, look at the bigger picture, they would question why are we even doing this in the first place? Uh, is this the right approach? Are there different approaches? They would seek out other people's perspectives um, and they would try to involve more people. And it was quite, I, I just found it interesting because they had that available to them. That's sort mm-hmm. of three different stages available to them and they could put that hat on for a little bit. Um, so I think we're, we're very interested in can you help people increase their range, not mm. just so you're at a stage of development? Mm. Can you actually start to stretch into different ranges and how would you do that? That's cool. So, so let me put a range in front of you and see, see mm. where we go because one of the things that um, Pete and I work on is on innovation projects and, and what you just talked about then spurred a thought in my head around a, a, mm. quote, a quote that I've had used or brought to me during uh. an innovation project. And it's a quote by... Uh, General George Patton. It says, a good plan mm. violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. Mm. And it's inter- mm. I, I want to put it in front of us because it's an interesting one that's been brought up to me in an agile, fast-paced, fast-moving, let's get something done, yeah. let's not overplan it, let's not overthink it. And yet we're also saying in that complexity with multiple perspectives, it might be better to take a step back and think rather than just do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. so I guess at a gut feel... One, where would you put a quote like that? A good plan, violently executed now, is better than a perfect plan next week. And, and, and where do you see that fitting and where do you see that not fitting? Yeah. And you, well, and you won't be scored based on your answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking that's exactly how I operate. So yeah. yep. it must be. Yep. Um, I mean, it sounds... Uh, earlier stage, but also appropriate mm-hmm. um, at times. One of the one of the research projects I was doing with one of the technology companies in the US, um, they were interested in this. They were interested in complexity, and there was this idea around um, when does there was an idea around requisite complexity mm-hmm. matching your inner complexity with the complexity of the environment. And what this company was interested in is, can we help leaders identify the correct requisite complexity for different situations they wow, face? that's cool. And what would be the micro moves they could do that, and in this language is around to amplify complexity mm-hmm. that we are going, so we can meet the complexity or to um, dial it back. Mm-hmm. And so the, the pattern quote, strikes me as one we're going to dial it back and just go fast Mm -hmm. and so essentially and there are a few different criteria we're able to see from the research around when to do that um and it was to do with how long have you what they found in projects actually it might be interesting for agile they they said projects were perfect for that early in the project you want to amplify the complexity by diverging Mm-hmm. Later in the project, when you've got less time, you're further along, you've got to converge and do what sort of maybe Patton's saying. Um, uh, was through with that, is the unknown solutions already existing? Just go fast. If no, have a look around. Mm. Does anyone actually know the best approach? If no, um, then you're going to need to amplify complexity. So this idea of going up and down, just the idea that, that probably is an appropriate response mm. yep. sometimes. So then let's go back to the, stra- to the stages. At what mm. stage do you find people have the almost the cognitive flexibility to a certain extent to go up and down stages and to be able to see the opportunity to do that? Because what we, mm. I heard you think speak about then, Nick, is almost like the Kinevin framework, right? Figure out yes, what, the, what, right, right. what is the requisite complexity of the project you're on yes. and then what is the best mindset to operate in that space? Yeah. It's funny, yeah, that Kinevin 
<laughs> so funny, isn't it? Different models, leaders will look at them yep. through the lens of the stage they operate totally. from and go, that's not helpful, or I love that. Um, I'm more confused than I was before I've seen that. <laughs> Um, it's a good question at what stage I'm, I'm just picturing different leaders I worked with when introducing these different ideas um, and I think it is later certainly they like there's a difference between liking the concepts mm-hmm. they like the concept of range they like the idea of you know matching it and there's a question of do they have you know that ability to actually apply it day to day in the challenge and I think if I look at leaders who have got really good range, they, I think it's certainly beyond achiever. It's redefining and transforming in particular. It can be hard for transforming leaders, I see, because um, they've almost got to work harder to display. To Probably redefining seems to be a good one. They're not too far away from the organizational culture already, so they can, yep. they can you know, do the achiever thing. Um, once you're into transforming, it, it seems to take quite a bit more effort to be able to adjust to where your culture might be. Mm, it's definitely my experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, right. I find it also, and it comes back to your question about requisite complexity, and I think it, it fits more into requisite authority. It depends on mm. the amount of scope that that leader's got because if they've got, you know, if if they can kick a, a ball 200 metres but the size of the field's only 100, they never get to – explore the full extent of their range because and they mm. don't have the authority to do that either so that's true mm. i'm interested in the dynamics yep. between being a late stage leader under a much lower stage because i've found working with this model that can be quite frustrating for both people involved yeah what have what have you guys noticed about late stage later stage leaders and organizations how they experience it and and what they do as a result. The thing that's coming to my mind is actually the difference between known and embodied, mm. right? And so particularly with the, the late-stage leaders that, that I've worked with is there's there's almost, um, and it, it might have to do with your football field analogy, is, is actually they know they can kick 200 metres, but they've never mm. done it. They've never done it. They've <laughs> never embodied it. They've never actually felt mm. what it feels like to really put the foot through the leather. You know what I mean? And mm. and mm-hmm. and try that out for once. And I think they're they're desperate for an opportunity to give that a go. Mm. But it, because it's never been done, again, you're dealing with a leader in a development edge. You're dealing with someone who wants a room to try and be wrong, a room to try mm. and fail to some degree. Um, mm. and, and again, you're talking about personal development now. So we're not talking about, oh, fail fast and let's be with an innovative culture. You're saying, put your neck on the line, try something mm. and be prepared mm. to, to, to trip over along the way. That's a personal mm. challenge that you're asking someone to take on. So I, that's what I've seen is almost like, um, as, as the development happens, you almost get this stretching a bit like your bungee cord, this stretching between mm. what they feel they can do and play on a daily basis and where they actually think they could stretch to if they were given half a chance. Right. And actually right. And then- one, I can think of one person who, who was there and to the conversation we, meant, um, we, we talked about before, upped and left, went to another organisation, and within the first six weeks got to try every single thing he hadn't <laughs> been able to embody, went into an incredibly complex organisation, had to deal with a whole huh. bunch of personality issues, got to flex every bit of muscle he'd just grown and went, yeah, I'm good with this. Okay, cool. Now what? You know? Um, Interesting. Yeah. Huh. That's good. Your thoughts, That's good. I'm still thinking. Okay. Carry on thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember I was what wondering what that look was. I'm glad, I'm glad you uh, identified it. <laughs> No, it's good. Um, okay, so that covers off. That well, well done with that uh, little curveball question for you there, Nick. Very good. Um, yeah. What's up for you next? What are you working on? Yep. What's the What's the next? The next of Nick Nick Petrie. Um, definitely interested in um, doing things at scale. Um, like how? I mean, I think that's that's one I'll be operating on for quite a long time like how would you do this it's typically done for a program of 20 30 leaders that's great what would it look like if you really did do it for thousands of leaders at once that would 
open up, I think, very new opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you could make the whole, whole organization awake and aware to vertical development <clears throat> and all having discussions at the same time, uh, I don't know if that's been done very often, certainly not in big, big organizations. So I would love to see uh, what will happen mm. when we do that. So it's probably the main one. And then, um, like, I mean, something we're working on quite a bit is how do you help the organization evolve its culture? So it's not just individuals doing it, but, and, you know, a traditional way of thinking about it is like just get lots of individuals and mm-hmm. eventually it will add up. There'll be a critical mass. Mm-hmm. And I, we're not really seeing that. You actually need to deliberately focus on the collective culture. So mm. that'll, that'll be a big piece for me coming up. Mm. What about for teams? Because um, I, yeah. know, one of the benefits of this model is that there's a real subject-object move. Like the subject of one right. stage becomes the object of the next stage beyond it. So you, yeah. you can only reflect on where you've been by getting to that next stage. And, you know, mm. like a lots of things, we have a little bit of discontent for where we've just been once we move into that new stage because we can't believe we existed for so long at that previous stage. So I'm interested mm. about four teams. What happens when – do you think there's a, a benefit from – teams being able to realise the stage of the team that the team's at collectively because, I, you know, in teams there's people at various levels of development which, you know, causes, you know, tensions. It also causes people to, in certain stages to work together and create certain team dynamics. I'm wondering what you see as the, the development for vertical development in a team's perspective. Yeah, well, we're starting to do quite a bit of that now because team leaders are saying, uh, how do I do this with my teams? So we said, oh, let's find out. Let's, <laughs> let's start doing it. And so we've started doing it. Um, and some of the early sort of concerns was, you know, them all finding out. They're operating from different stages. Mm. How do you handle that? So we're not getting them to talk. What we're saying, and we say this just in general now, is um, hold the stages lightly and take the development seriously. Mm, so right. don't get too hooked up at who's at which stage and this sort of thing. We also call an indicator uh, the assessment we use, vertical mindset indicator. It can't define who you are. No. Yep. You are an achiever. You're more complex than that, but it gives you an indication. I think you it. mentioned it at the start of this conversation, centers of gravity. I've found that to be quite a useful mm. way to talk about it as well, where it's not your yeah. fix to one stage. It's more like there's a right. sort of a swell of gravity around that particular stage, but you kind of are a free-flowing individual that can hop around yeah yeah exactly which i think all of that stuff's very important once you start doing it in a Mm. team setting Mm. um so the way we've been doing it is everyone goes through in the team and does the individual one and then has an has a group debrief but it's just focused on each of us individually we can have discussions about different things they love that it's really good they've all got the same language now and then part two is they will sort of take a just a very short teams assessment and answer a series of questions on the platform, which then become the content for the second session. Cool. And then we, then we talk about team and that one's a lot around where do we think we are operating from as a team? Mostly, mm-hmm. how do we know what do we see in our behaviors and the way we operate? Where do we need to be operating from? And, you know, very often there's a gap of, one and, a half, one and a half or two stages. Yep. And interestingly, I find fascinating, the teams and the cultures always seem to lag the individuals. Like It's not like you could add up the individual yep. aggregate and mm-hmm. that's where the culture is or the team is. When you get a group together, the group descends. Mm-hmm. And so they're you- all operating below their individual, their individual stage, yeah, Pete- which is fascinating. You've got a theory on that, don't you? Yes. Yeah. I think the – and for me it's something that I've tested and it seems to be the truth through facilitating workshops and actually also being participant in yeah. vertical development, edge development over my career and sitting with other groups of people involved in it is it sends to, to default to the the person of the lowest stage of development within the group. That yeah. seems to become the kind of the default base plate for where it goes to because people – Want don't want to be excluded, and they want to feel like they're including everyone. And to do that, you need to include that that sort of most fundamental stage of the person who's that, so they don't feel excluded. And it just seems to be a natural dynamic that so, seems to evolve. So the group then 
descends to the lowest common denominator exactly. and carries at that level. Mm. So then the cost of bringing the wrong team member becomes amplified. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting point. Mm. Yep. Wow. So there's the dynamic. That is an interesting point. When you're choosing a team, how do you develop? It, it comes back to your requisite complexity again. Of the, mm. What's the requisite complexity of the project and the deliverables and what would be the requisite vertical development stages to meet that where it's at in order to Mm. because i always think about vertical development is you know as we said with the center of gravity it's it's like someone being a a runner you will at a certain level of fitness you'll always be able to run for an extensive amount of time at the level of fitness you're at but when someone asks you to run at that you know next level up you can do that for a little bit Mm. of time but you'll exhaust Mm. yourself so quickly and then you default back but if you keep running at that extra pace again and again and again after a while that becomes your new pace Mm. and so Mm. how do you and you you would do this as well most especially at achiever most people are used to that development occurring quite quickly and i think a lot of the pain and suffering i see around this vertical development approach and the models are it's a it's a long time investment it's not a fast shift model it's a you know a year to two years for one of those stages sort of Mm. bare minimum and are people willing to participate in development over extended periods of time, especially in an environment and a world where it's go, 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 get it done? Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know I'm seeing, are they willing to? Are the individuals willing to? And are the companies willing to? I mean, are you seeing them willing to? I think so. I think part of the the willingness is that, We've had all these other approaches for so long and, and they mm. worked in that environment. Again, your requisite complexity, but now the complexity of the environment is so much more. It's, mm. it's we need something else then because what those other things we've done, they just don't work anymore. Mm. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the other thing I'm noticing is the CEOs are changing. Mm, um, interesting. Oh, wow. Which is quite interesting. They're, um, they're talking about different things. They're talking about it publicly. Um, that's been quite interesting and talking in um, many of them in quite late stage ways, which I've been quite intrigued by and doing it sort of more publicly, which has been quite interesting. Mm. I've seen, yeah. So, um, and what happens when the people at the top of the organization are operating from later stages, how does that impact things? Mm. So I don't know, that, uh, that'll be an interesting one as so we keep mm. watching. Definitely. Well, look, I think we're pretty much run out of time. Um, right. Where can where, where can we follow you next? What are you doing next? Where can we find more of what you've what you've got on your plate? And uh, where do people find more of you? And then I've got two questions yeah. for you before you leave. Sounds Short good. ones. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So when we uh, for public events uh, that we do, they usually come through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So if you just look up Nick Petrie. Um, if you're interested in attending some stuff or finding out what's new, what we're putting out, things like that. And then the website's the other good place to look, nicholaspetrie.com. Awesome. Excellent. Very good. So, rapid fire questions. Yep, rapid fire. It's our end of session <laughs> rapid fire questions. Um, so if you had to boil it down into three things that you think summarize vertical development in your work, what would they be? Three kind of bullet points. Uh, first one is that we are not static. We're evolving. Mm-hmm. Second, we evolve through predictable stages of development. And third, uh, as you go through these stages, you get new capacities, new things come online that you didn't have before, but you don't want to leave things behind as well. You just want to extend your range. And also, it's important to know um, there's also what sort of – there's no rush – there's no rush to get through this stuff. It's like you, when you're in your 20s, just live your 20s as well as you can. There's no need to rush through to your 30s. Just enjoy each stage you're in and fill it out properly. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Great. I think there are three fantastic suggestions going forward. If you had a suggestion or a challenge for everyone at home to participate in for the next couple of weeks that might engage them in or accelerate their development, what would that one suggestion, like the, the challenge for people at home? Um, challenge for people at home, I would say one of, one of the most developmental things people can do 
is to seek others' perspectives. So see if you can increase the amount of perspectives you're seeking out from others. Um, the other really interesting thing we're doing at the moment is around networks and who you know and who knows you. And most people end up with quite closed insular networks. You hang out with a lot of people who are quite similar to you and who know each other. Uh, the way to get past that is to open up your network. So seek out some perspectives from people who are not within your network at the, at the moment. Mm -hmm. One way to do that is to reconnect with latent ties. So a latent tie is someone who you used to be close with, but you haven't connected with them for a long time. But if you actually rang them up, you'd hit it off exactly where you were 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Yeah, awesome. So seek out some perspectives from some diverse people. Mm. That's fantastic. That's a great, That's great suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. Take that one on board. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for today, Nick, and we'd like to thank you for obviously spending some time with us, especially in the middle of a lockdown with a house move in combination of all of those, that VUCA situation that you've got going on for yourself. Um, we will put all the show notes, all the tips from today's session in the show notes so that people can find you and find your work, which I think would be a really great way to get introduced to the concept of vertical development. And yeah, we'd like to thank you very much for participating today. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Awesome, Excellent. mate. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right, mate. Okay. Cheers, guys. See ya. Ciao. Bye. That's the end of today's episode. Thanks for listening. What's Next is brought to you by The Next. We are workplace futurists and transformation facilitators. You can reach us on the web at www.thenextnxt.com.au. Please ensure you subscribe to our channel to ensure you don't miss our up-and-coming episodes.